Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Politics Band Podcast. Welcome back for another episode today, episode 31. And I'm not going to mince words today, folks. Uh, I'm going to need a lot of help from you today. I'm going to need you to put on your thinking caps and to sit in a nice, comfortable chair because the information that I'm going to be going over today, um, I think, is going to have profound implications for the future. Uh, as well as giving you kind of a lay of the land of where we are today and what you can expect. Uh, By the title of this podcast, Abolish the Constitution, um, I want you to first know I'm going to be leading up to that discussion, but please uh, do not uh, despair. Uh, I am absolutely going to talk to you today about what I believe is the next major move Um, by the radical left, by the radical progressives and the radical socialists, which is essentially to abolish the United States Constitution. And that is, by by the way, a quote of the article that I will be going through today with you um, as we sort of dissect uh, a lot of the language, because, of course, the article is very lengthy um, and the author is very verbose. Uh, something, of course, that I can relate to. But um, I want to start first with discussing kind of where we are today, because I believe it will give some additional context to the discussion on how the left is going to not only justify packing the Supreme Court, uh, should there be a Joe Biden victory on November 3rd, uh, but how they will actively even go so far as to nullify the Supreme Court and prevent it from being able to um, have as much impact and reach as it does currently. And then, of course, if that is not good enough, then they will move forward with a complete abolishment of the United States Constitution. I know it sounds hyperbolic. Please stick with me. I promise we're going to get to that article. But first, I am not going to discuss the intricate details of the continuously breaking story about Hunter Biden's uh, laptop from hell, as the president has described it, except to use this as sort of a signpost or a litmus test or some type of a of a measuring stick of where we are today as a nation from the standpoint of social media interaction, communication, but most importantly, censorship and just outright disinformation and deception. It is crucial that you understand kind of where we are in history. Because I think that there is a continuous natural tendency to have that normalcy bias, to think that things are relatively normal today, just like we used to think that things were relatively normal 10 years ago or five years ago. And every once in a while, you need to take a little bit of a look sort of into the past But even just sort of stepping out into the open and seeing things from a distance to understand how truly unprecedented times these are that we're living through right now. I I can't say it any other way other than to say that this is we are living history, ladies and gentlemen, you, me, everybody right now, we are in a pivotal, pivotal moment here in United States history. It is absolutely crucial to wrap your head around how important it is that we recognize the weight of the moment that we are in today. First and foremost, 
what has been theorized since the dawn of social media, what has been theorized since the radicalization and the politicization of our news cycle has now finally arrived. And that is outright in the open, in your face, undeniable censorship. As someone who has studied the media from a critical perspective for at least the last 20 to 25 years, this has been a topic of discussion that has come up continuously and has only been talked about in terms of theory. We have only discussed it sort of on the fringes, discussing how social media censorship will eventually become so overt that it is undeniable. And yet somehow today we have half of the country who at least admit that the censorship is okay, but then say, well, we would really like to understand why. Even today, I can tell you that there are journalists who have posted articles saying that they applaud and agree with the fact that Facebook and Twitter have been openly censoring the New York Post that they have suspended their accounts and anyone who was reposting the original article about Hunter Biden's laptop is either being blacklisted, shadow banned, or their posts are being outright removed or a combination of all three. This is overt censorship. It is no longer, you know, beneath the, you know, beneath the veil. It is no longer behind the scenes. It is no longer something that just happens to a few Individuals who appear to be connected, but, you know, they're able to kind of sort of dance and dodge around the subject saying, well, you know, they broke this particular community guideline or they broke that community guideline or, you know, like Alex Jones. And in fact, history will trace the beginning of the end of social media to the censorship and deplatforming of Alex Jones, because that was and I have to say that. Although I was not necessarily commenting on the situation at the time, people were making the case that this was a trial balloon, that Alex Jones was a test to see whether or not social media giants like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Spotify, YouTube, whether they could all get rid of Alex Jones at the same time. And if anybody would notice, and if everybody did notice, would they lose their minds and cancel their services and, and stop their browsing? Well, of course, none of that happened. And so now Alex Jones is been deplatformed. Stefan Molyneux, if you are familiar with him, who is a philosopher um, and I think produced some really great content on YouTube, he was deplatformed. And so they've just been working through the list. And now what we are seeing is the fourth largest in terms of circulation publication in the United States. The New York Post, ladies and gentlemen, do you know that the New York Post was founded by Alexander Hamilton? Yes, the same Alexander Hamilton who has had a musical created to tell the story of his life that is an obsession by not only just the American left, but a lot of people. A lot of people were just crazy about Hamilton. Well, Alexander Hamilton's own publication has now been censored by Twitter and by Facebook and Instagram. 
because they dare take a shot at the king. They dare to publish factual information that is present on this laptop. Now, if you have, if you are not familiar with this story, please do your research. I could spend an entire podcast segment talking about just this. There is fantastic reporting that is available from conservative news outlets, because as I'm about to show you right now, if you listen only to mainstream media publications, most of them, of course, being controlled by radical leftists, you would know that this laptop contains truthful information. Now, you may be asking, well, well, I, I heard it was a Russian disinformation campaign. Allow me to dispel a few very easy myths. First of all, number one, we are led to believe by the media that the story is not that Hunter Biden had a liquid damaged laptop with all kinds of potentially incriminating information, but at the very least significantly uh, ethic, uh, unethical uh, bits of information, especially concerning his father uh, on his laptop that he, uh, where we, that he didn't spill liquid on and damage his MacBook, take it to a repair shop in Delaware, forget to pick up the laptop, at which point it became property of the laptop repair shop owner. Um, and then, of course, the repair shop owner then began to see all of these news publications about Hunter Biden and started worrying that he might have criminal information. And at some point, the FBI contacted the repair shop owner and uh, took possession of the laptop itself. And then later, this individual who owned this repair shop was subpoenaed to appear before a grand jury in Delaware at a U.S. circuit court. <clears throat> Pardon me, folks. That story, if you listen to the mainstream media, is not true. That story is not true. And of course, it's not true that eventually the laptop found its hands or found itself into the hands of Steve Bannon, who then subsequently roped in Rudy Giuliani and are now running with the story. No, no, no. It's a Russian disinformation campaign. So the left would have you believe that Russian hackers, Russian hackers, um, I don't know, that they planted all of these emails that are falsified on a laptop, spilled liquid on it, and then had the laptop delivered to a repair shop in Delaware where they conveniently forgot about it, knowing that the laptop repair shop owner would eventually discover the machine, look at the contents, and then somehow get those contents in the hands of some you know conservative news outlet or some conservative figure like the president's personal personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani uh, or Steve Bannon and uh, they were and they just happened to hatch the plot right before the election. That's what they would have you believe, or that they that the Russians hacked uh, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, which eventually found its way into the repair shop because they knew eventually it would no longer be in his possession. And um, the story unfolds virtually the same. That's what the mainstream media wants you to think. They want you to think that the Russians are just so clever that it's like an Ocean's 12, an Ocean's 11 style movie where they just get in at the right time at the right place. And they just happen to know how everything is going to work. And bam, you got yourself Russian disinformation being disseminated by the media to help Donald Trump get into office. How ridiculous does that make you feel that this is 
the level of intelligence that the media thinks you have. They think that you are so stupid that you would believe this crazy, you know, series of elaborate webs and conspiracies and right places at right times when the simplest explanation of Hunter Biden being a scumbag who profited off of his father's position as vice president, accidentally spilled liquid on his MacBook, took it into the repair shop to have it fixed. And then because he's wealthy and wealthy people don't care about stuff, he just forgot about it and probably went and bought himself another machine. And that the laptop repair shop owner started seeing things on the news, recognizing that Hunter Biden was his customer and thought, my God, I might actually have evidence of criminal activity on one of these machines. I should probably get this into the hands of the authorities. And then, of course, the FBI in December of 2019 took possession of the machine and has sat on it ever since. So would the FBI be involved with a Russian disinformation campaign? Ladies and gentlemen, especially the comments from Adam Schiff about how they have intelligence that this is a Russian disinformation campaign. Ladies and gentlemen, let me educate you on something very easy. The CIA is where we obtain foreign intelligence. And Schiff sits on as the chair of this of the House Intelligence Committee. Okay? Just follow me. Um, Hunter Biden wouldn't be involved in terms of an intelligence investigation because he's an American citizen. This situation took place on American soil. The FBI investigates federal crimes. The CIA does not. They don't have any legal authority to operate within the United States. There is no intelligence because there's no jurisdiction. So this notion, it's its just insulting that anytime any unsubstantiated information gets published, such as the Russian collusion hoax, the Ukrainian impeachment hoax, all of the all the the president's tax returns or the president's supposed comments about calling members of the military who died it, calling them losers, like absolutely, totally unsubstantiated pieces of information that the media runs with at the drop of the hat and to cover themselves. They often use the 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 cult phrase, if true, dot, 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 some lie and in, inserted here. So. This double standard by which they claim, well, you know, this is just a Russian disinformation campaign should be insulting to your intelligence. You know and I know that you are perfectly capable of reading the stitches on the fastball just like I do. And this should infuriate you that the media are now so openly, so overtly engaging in disinformation and censorship and you're literally, well, not literally, but you're, you're a figuratively being told the equivalent of who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes. So to sort of solidify where we are today with the level of censorship that is now taking place in real time, this is the moment that we have talked about for decades. We have talked about how eventually these social media organizations in collusion, of course, with political parties. And sources of authority, such as the courts, would all intermingly work together to 
push a single cohesive message. And in this case, it is that the messages on Hunter Biden's laptop are part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Over on Twitter, which once again, in the process of doing research for today's podcast, I'm reminded why I cannot be over on Twitter. There is an individual named Drew Holden. Uh, Drew's own biography lists him as being um, like New York Times, NRO, Washington Post, DC Examiner, where he's written some pieces and stuff like that. So you could say that he's a journalist of some kind. I have never heard of him, but that doesn't mean um, that his information is any you know less important or less true. So he begins his thread on Twitter as this. Another Russian-related lie was exposed today, this time the allegation that the New York Post Biden coverage was Russian, Russian disinformation, something that every corner of the media and Democrat Party assured us was the case. Don't believe me? Well, take a look. And he starts with the article from Fox News published October 19th, where uh, DNI head uh, Ratcliffe says Hunter Biden laptop emails not part of some Russian disinformation campaign. All of this information, ladies and gentlemen, is being based off of statements from Representative Adam Schiff. There's no reporting that's being done. And what so how this begins is Schiff comes out and says over the weekend, this is part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Of course, he has absolutely no evidence to back this up because we know Schiff is a liar. So then people report on the fact that Schiff said that it was a disinformation campaign as the basis for injecting their own opinion into the article. Okay, And then that becomes that becomes followed by articles reporting about how other outlets are reporting on it. So it's a single stone kicked over the side of a mountain that creates an avalanche where reporters are reporting on other reporters who are reporting on other reporters who reported on Adam Schiff. Are you you following me? Because that's the chain of how this operates. And even after these journalists were sort of caught red handed, how did they pivot? Well, then they pivoted to reporting on each other, where then they had articles claiming, oh, some of the people over at the New York Post withheld their byline because they were unsure about the accuracy of the reporting. Now, a byline is a is a journalist lingo for the the author. You know, the, you would say, uh, you know, du, you know, such and such title, title, title by so and so. That's their byline. So, in other words, they wrote the article, but they didn't attach their name to it. Who cares whether reporters at the New York Post wanted to withhold their byline? The information is out there now, so it's no longer a question of, oh, well, some people. And there was even a separate article talking about how Fox News supposedly passed on the story of Hunter Biden's laptop because they were unsure about its authenticity. This is irrelevant. They're trying journalists are trying to obfuscate the situation by saying, well, the story might not be credible because some of these people over here didn't think that it was credible enough to put their name on it or that they passed up on the story. That's all irrelevant. It's or it's completely irrelevant to this discussion. So you had the director of natural intelligence, uh, Ratcliffe, that went on Fox News and put an end to this, saying there's no intelligence because there's no intelligence investigation. Hunter Biden is an American citizen. This is handled by the FBI, period. They And he's like, we haven't shared anything with Adam Schiff. So I don't know what he's talking about. OK, so that's how this starts. That's how we know that this is all BS. 
And I mean, if you want to come out and be like, well, maybe Ratcliffe is lying, you know, it's well, I mean, if you only choose to believe or not believe somebody based on their political affiliation, I can't help you. Like you, you have to be able to use your own brain to decipher whether or not something sounds like it is true or not based on the evidence that's presented. We know that there's no intelligence investigation because the FBI is involved. The CIA has no authority here. I digress. So looking through Drew Holden's thread here, and folks, I mean, I can't even cover this to the extent by which he has so thoroughly documented the massive reach of this of this single lie and how it has been regurgitated almost completely in its own form all over the place. And in this case, he says, let's uh, getting us started at CNN, who has chief Russian correspondent, James Clapper. James Clapper, another Obama hack. Um, and, and the fact that he is a contributor on CNN is unbelievable. Um, he was on the program to talk about how the post story was, quote, classic, so te- classic textbook Soviet Russian tradecraft. Does does Clapper not realize that the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore? I mean, who talks like this? And then Clapper says he did an anatomy and then did an anatomy of the dubious story. CNN's own Twitter post says uh, this is a quote. I think this is from Clapper. To me, this is classic textbook Soviet Russian tradecraft at work. The former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, says as authorities are investigating if recently published emails are tied to a Russian disinformation effort targeting Biden. And of course, what's the headline? The anatomy of the New York Post's dubious Hunter Biden story. That's CNN. We're just getting warmed up. Over at the New York Times, Drew says, but right behind them was the New York Times, who ran a similarly incredulous story and whose chief political reporter, uh, this is Maggie New York Times, who is this? Oh, Maggie Haberman, another hack doubled down on the Russian disinformation angle. This is the headline. Trump said to be warned that Giuliani was conveying Russian disinformation. Confirming the Washington Post reporting that Trump was given a warning about Giuliani and Russian misinformation late last year. Around that time, other Trump aides tried keeping Giuliani from the president because impeachment um, he had helped spark spark was underway. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, the information that is present on this laptop is, is as far as I'm concerned, is the torpedo of the impeachment scandal. Literally everything that they've accused President Trump of doing, everything. Profiting from foreign governments, quid pro quo collusion with other governments has taken place under Joe Biden. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, and again, and going through it might be beneficial and I might do it at a later date. Uh, but the information is out there from much better sources than myself. And I would exhaust an entire podcast going through the conspiracy. It's it's but rest assured, everything the Democrats have accused the president of doing, they themselves were actually not not that they were doing it as well. They were the only ones that we're doing it. And there is evidence to back all of that up. Unlike with the president, because if the evidence existed, he would have been convicted during his impeachment. So Drew continues, but the real leader, as with all things, Russia hoax related was MSNBC. 
They also managed to pull in uh, a couple congressmen's and other people who are all aboard for this idea already. Quote, why does Rudy Giuliani have access to the highest levels of government to be able to peddle this disinformation repeatedly? Said one representative, um, a MSNBC headline, Hunter Biden's story, an obvious Russian plot. U.S. intelligence agencies believe that Rudy Giuliani was being worked over by Russian intelligence assets as a conduit to feed misinformation to the president of the United States. Drew continues, and of course, their top talent got involved in the act. Here's MSNBC's leading Russian conspiracy theorist, Rachel Maddow. Trump embraces reported Russian anti-Biden disinformation campaign. CIA, other spy agencies warned the White House about Giuliani's dealings with alleged Russian agents last year. A source familiar with the matter tells MSNBC NBC News. But she continues to be rivaled for that top spot by none other than Joy Ann Reed. And Joy Ann Reed, boy, what a piece of work she is. Saying, uh, let's see, oh, and she quotes Ben Rhodes where Ben says the media is not under some obligation to cover obvious disinformation and speaking disinformation uh, doesn't make you some courageous defender of the first amendment. It just makes you an easy mark. Ooh, yeah, we're just, we're so easy to, uh, to convince Joy Ann Reed then replies exactly. And the media isn't required to go after Joe Biden using whatever accusations Trump and friends hurl into the atmosphere simply because the facts are the facts on hand are bad for Trump. So you notice how whenever the situation, I mean, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I just want to take one step back. This is how you know that we are right over the target zone. This is how you know that if the bombs are dropped right now, they are going to decimate, decimate the Democrats, politically speaking, of course. This is how you know you're over the target zone. This is the kind of reaction that we have waited for. Because this is how you know that they are in serious danger of losing. This is not how a winning party behaves. They have a stench of desperation. The likes of which is historically unprecedented. To the point where media outlets where the Democrats who used to complain during the Obama administration about the fairness doctrine, which was a, was a piece of legislation that used to require, or at least was theorized to require equal time on television and radio. And the reason why they wanted the fairness doctrine was to destroy talk radio was to destroy formats like podcasting or any form of actual media. So it is ironic to me that suddenly when the story is not convenient to them, that they find the acts, the actions of the media being completely in the tank for one perspective to be totally acceptable. So eventually, eventually, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to come full circle. I don't know when, I don't know when or what, under what circumstances, but eventually the Democrats are going to find themselves the victims of some type of media broadcast or some type of information dissemination. And when that happens, be on the lookout for them to start dragging out old and tired playbooks, such as the fairness doctrine and trying to convince you 
that the media is actually biased against them. I see this all the time. It's It boggles my mind, but people actually think on the left, they actually think that the media is actually biased for the president. I don't know what planet they live on, but it ain't named Earth. Because this takedown that Drew Holden has shown, and I mean, he shows PBS on their NewsHour program, where it says, report. A senior former intelligence official tells me President Trump's entire national security team warned him that Giuliani's information coming out of Ukraine was likely Russian disinformation that Trump suggested uh, shrugged the warning off. So attack the messenger, claim that Giuliani is a Russian asset, although they've tried to claim that the president is a Russian asset. And this is spread everywhere. Now, there's something noticeably absent from all of these articles. They focus on two things. One, they focus on claiming that the story is a Russian disinformation campaign. And two, they focus on previous reports that Giuliani was a Russian asset. But what's what's missing, ladies and gentlemen? A denial from the Biden campaign. A denial from Hunter Biden. No one is disputing the authenticity of this information. They're just disputing where it may have came, where it may have come from. I want you to wrap your head around that for a minute. If the Russians leaked information that turned out to be true, does that change the truthfulness of the information? Now think back to 2016 when, uh, when old, old Johnny boy Podesta who was a major campaign figure for Hillary Clinton, had his email hacked through a phishing scheme because all these people are idiots when it comes to cybersecurity. And they released all kinds of information from Podesta's emails, including, just thinking off the top of my head here, proof that CNN had actually passed some of the debate questions to the Clinton campaign before the debate. Things like that. Now, that information turned out to be true. Are we supposed to somehow dispute the truthfulness of something that we already know to be true? These emails are and have been confirmed to be authentic, and they're doing it through a variety of ways, the least of which is contacting the recipients of the emails and being like, is this true? Is this a real email? And they said, yes, it is. You now have Biden's own uh, Hunter Biden, his own business associates who are doing prison time, I might add, while Hunter is walking free on the streets because of his dear old dad. Well, they're pretty upset and they're rolling on him hardcore. So they'll be using those emails that they have now obtained through his business associates to confirm information on the laptop and authenticate it. Only a matter of time. You have NPR. CBS News, Washington Post, Business Insider, Newsweek, USA Today, Mother Jones. I mean, you have Senator, uh, you have, uh, is it is it Senator? Yeah, Senator Chris Murphy. C-SPAN. I mean, and you have all these white checkmark or blue checkmark individuals on Twitter. Ben Rhodes, where he says one of the loudest voices in all of this continues to be Ben Rhodes, which is pretty incredible when you consider the only reason we even know his name 
is because he duped a media establishment that loved his boss. I mean, it's this. This is a huge list. Evan McMullen, Bill, all the anti-Trumpers, Bill Crystal, David Frum, um, Joe Walsh. I mean, it is it's enormous. And here he says it is in, is in on Drew. He, this is something that Drew said that I really liked. It is enormously dishonest for anyone to pretend that a politically inconvenient story is disinformation from a hostile foreign power. Our entire media establishment just did this again, along with elected officials and thought leaders, shameful, just all around shameful. We can't live in a world where everything the left doesn't like magically becomes Russian disinformation. No one even bothered to show this was disinformation. All they had to do was say it and build the narrative on the left and in the mainstream media. And I mean, it's just, he's just cataloging tweets and posts from all of these news sources. It is everywhere, folks. It's everywhere. So here is the beginning of sort of what I'm trying to convey to you today. It is now more imperative than than it has ever been in your lifetime or my lifetime that you be able to sift through and disseminate information and be able to determine whether or not you think something is truthful on your own. And understand we are beyond the old political rules where the truth used to typically be some type of manipulation of the context. Okay. Like a good, a good example would be how baseline budgeting works. And basically how baseline budgeting works is the budget for every single year is where you start from. So an easy example is the budget for 2021 includes a $500 million increase to Medicare that is proposed by the Democrats. Republicans get a hold of the bill. They then slash the $500 million increase to $250 million. Democrats then run to the media with the headline, Republicans to cut Medicare by $250 million. Now, it's not actually a cut. It's a reduction in the increase. So it's a you can see how without the context of knowing that they were already going to increase the cost of the, the, the amount of money to Medicare, not decrease it. You wouldn't know that when the media reports a $250 million cut to Medicare, you're thinking, Oh my God, they're actually going to slash Medicare by $250 million. No, they're just slashing the increase. That's how the old political rules used to function when it came to telling a lie. These days, They are beyond omitting context. They are outright lying. They are fabricating stories that did not happen. They are fabricating pieces of information that are false. I'll give you another really good example of this. Although this falls a little bit more into the contextual side, but I want to emphasize how easily you can be deceived If you do not look into these stories for yourself, this is from the blades headline 
political opponents accused Trump of felony after viral tweet falsely claims he admitted to quid pro quo. Now, this is from President Trump's rally in Prescott, Arizona yesterday, which would have been the 19th, where the president was discussing fundraising about how Joe Biden has been raising a lot of money and how the president refuses to engage in high-profile fundraising or high-dollar fundraising by calling businesses directly because it creates a conflict of interest. So he was hypothesizing that he could vastly outraise Joe Biden. And in fact, he even even claimed he could raise a billion dollars in one day, which based on his description could be possible. But he laid out a scenario by which he could call the CEO of Exxon and they could sit and have a discussion about how Exxon needs a couple of exploration permits to be granted by the federal government. And Trump say, well, by the way, could you send me $25 million? And they would do it because it would be a quit because they would have an expectation that they're going to get something for their money. And the president acknowledged that he doesn't do this. He doesn't engage in this behavior because it would create a conflict of interest later on down the road, but that he could and he would be very successful. That's the context of the conversation. The article says during a campaign rally in Prescott, Arizona on Monday, Trump illustrated a quid pro quo while explaining why he doesn't make fundraising calls to CEOs of major companies. But if you saw a tweet by Vox journalist Aaron Rupar, who is a another giant pile of trash, who is, as you'll see, on purposely uh, disseminating disinformation. So again, the Democrats are accusing Republicans of disseminating Russian disinformation while they themselves are putting complete fabrications out there. And as I'm going to illustrate, Aaron Rupar actually made it seem like the president was actually admitting to this behavior as opposed to simply hypothesizing what he would do if he was to engage in this behavior, which is a completely different situation. Um, that's because Rupar pulled Trump's words out of context to make it appear that Trump admitted to engaging in a quid pro quo with Exxon CEO Darren Woods, cementing his tweet with the hashtag quid pro quo, making very clear the allegation he was levying against Trump. Rupar quoted Trump as saying, and then he goes on to talk about what the president said. You can, you can look this up. I'm sure you can find it if you want to know exactly what the president said. But needless to say, Rupar completely misinterpreted the president's words. The complete misinterpretation of Trump's words ignited a firestorm on social media, resulting in the president's detractors to literally accuse him of a felony. Quote, the conduct described by the real, by real Donald Trump is a felony and punishable with prison time, according to Representative Ted Lieu. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Ted. Uh, Representative Arcasio, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, also picked up on this. Uh, and she's got an easy, cool five million followers saying, um, so ExxonMobil and friends care to tell us the end of the story. Did you coordinate the 25 million? That's how stupid she is, ladies and gentlemen. Just so you know, like that's how brainless these people are as they fall for this stuff. 
Like they just take it and they think because they see a video that's, and this is something else that's very important. We have a natural tendency to think that if we see video of something that we know the full context or that we, we, that we were there essentially, the camera can be biased. The camera can be biased. In this case, that's exactly how it's done. And for all of you people out there, if you happen to be listening, who think that the Project Veritas videos of the ballot harvesting scandal that is taking place in Minneapolis, Minnesota, if you think that that is edited video and somehow that is supposed to delegitimize whatever you saw, this is what actual editing out of context looks like. This is it. And this is not what Project Veritas does. Anyway, I digress, but something on my mind. Even as Washington Post fact checker Daniel Dale explained, Trump was not, in fact, admitting to a crime. Quote, again, the clip that's circulating has a misleading caption. Trump's point was that it compromises a president to make personal fundraising calls to big CEOs. So he won't, Dale explained. Once more, Trump does do a lot of high dollar fundraising, but he clearly has not admitting here to corruption or actual deals with Exxon. Carry on. Okay. This, I think this is pretty much the end of the story that you need to understand here, but you have people in the media actively putting out disinformation about the president in order to snare people into these traps where they think that he actually admitted to committing a felony in front of a crowd of tens of thousands of people. When in fact, that is not what he said. And I was even wincing a little bit because I watched that. I watched that rally live. I was, I was wincing and cringing a little bit when he was saying that. Cause I thought to myself, Oh dude, man, someone's going to clip that and take it out of context. Boom. There it was almost a, almost a, you know, premonition. There's one last article I'm going to leave with. I know that I know I've been teasing the, the constitutional article. We're going to get to it. This is the last example that I wanted to offer you again, coming from the blaze because Lord knows there's only a limited number of sources that you can actually get real information from. Uh, Headline Biden ad features struggling small business owner under Trump's COVID economy. Only he's actually a wealthy Democrat donor. A Biden campaign ad released Sunday attempts to portray a humble Michigan small business owner struggling to stay afloat while his business is being decimated by president Trump's COVID response. So the thing that I want to articulate first here, and again, another sort of piece of disinformation, all of these individuals, if, and if you happen to be one, let me correct you. People out there seem to think that the economic situation that is taking place because of the COVID-19 lockdowns is somehow the fault of president Trump. I'm here to tell you that you need to look to your mayors and to your governors and your city councils and your state legislatures for placing blame firmly on whatever economic condition your business might or might not be in currently. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States does not have the authority to shut down the American economy. So as we'll discover, this individual lives in Michigan. Michigan, who has Governor Whitmer as their current governor. And Governor Whitmer has made it very clear that she intends to violate her own laws 
to keep the economy of Michigan shut down. And why would they do that? Why would why would the governor of California move the goalposts on COVID-19 response where they have this weird arrangement where counties have to achieve a certain kind of performance with respect to COVID values and new cases before they're allowed to open up and they have to go in through phases. Well, as several, several of the Northern counties that are Republican have met those standards, now they change the rules where in order for a county to open, they can't have massive infection disparities between their minority communities and their predominantly white communities. Why do they keep these states on lockdown? Because ladies and gentlemen, They want to have you blame the president. They have managed to snare people with this lie that the reason why we ended up in the economic calamity that we have is because the president is the one who put the brakes on the economy. He he does not have that authority. They can make recommendations. They can tell state governors what they think should be done. The governors in these states are responsible for their economic calamities. Very important. That's the first thing I would tell this guy is maybe you should be complaining to your governor and not to the president of the United States. It says, uh, for 50 years, the blind pig has been opened and crowded, but right now it's an empty room, says, uh, I think it's Joe Malkin in the ad describing popular Ann Arbor, Michigan live music venue, The Blind Pig, which he co-owns. This is the reality. This is a quote. This is the reality of Trump's COVID response. He continues, we don't know how much longer we can survive not having any revenue. A lot of restaurants and bars that have been mainstays for years will not make it through this. I completely agree. I think that's a factual statement. Uh, Minus the part of it being a uh, consequence of Trump's COVID response. Says the ad would certainly be effective if not for the misleading portrayal of Malkin and his incoherent attack on the president's pandemic response, the Washington Free Beacon reported. But as it turns out, struggling small business owner Malkin is actually a wealthy Democrat donor who contributed $5,000 to the former vice president's presidential campaign in July as the pandemic raged on, according to Federal Election Commission filings. Now, it's not the five grand that they're making this uh, determination from, as I'll, as I'll articulate. <clears throat> In an interview with local news outlet in 2018, Malkin described becoming a well-known angel investor for local tech startups after inheriting a large sum of money from his wife's late grandfather. During the interview, he characterized the inheritance as, quote, like winning the lottery and described money as, quote, no object after that. So here they want to make you believe that this individual is a struggling small business owner who is going to lose his livelihood if his restaurant closes. Now, some people who work for him will lose their livelihoods, of course. The people who are, you know, the busters, the waiters, the cooks, you know, the 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 people who clean the dishes, all of those people stand to lose their jobs if the restaurant closes. However, this man, this individual is not going to close the restaurant simply because he ran out of money. He's going to close the restaurant because he's bleeding financially. Completely different situation. If you run out of money, you close the doors. But if you're bleeding financially and you don't see any end in sight, that also is a valid reason to close a business. But they're trying to give the impression that this, they're trying to put the suffering to a face. And instead, they chose somebody who apparently has inherited a lot of money, which is great. 
that's perfectly fine. I'm all for estate inheritance. Uh, it probably would be, uh, you know, interesting to remind this gentleman here that the Democrats want to tax uh, your estate inheritance tremendously, even though the, the money that you are inheriting and the property that you're inheriting was already taxed when the income was earned. So it's double taxation. But that point seems to have uh, not been made. So again, this is just a, another example of they're just they're lying. They're outright lying. And yes, of course, there's omitted context. But in the case of Hunter Biden's laptop, it's a complete disinformation campaign. Now, I have teased you long enough, but the reason why this was important is because I believe I have come across what is going to be the left's next major move, and it ties into court packing. And the reason why this is important, ladies and gentlemen, is because I needed to set the stage for the fact that you are going to be lied to and lied to tremendously in order to convince you that the Constitution of the United States of America needs to be abolished. Now, this is not from a mainstream Democrat location or publication, but I strongly believe, based on the articulations of the author, that this is going to be their next move. That they are not, I mean, and of course, their, 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 um, their sort of modus operandi, their MO is, is that they never quit. They never stop. Every time we concede as a nation to these radical ideas. There is there, the concession is sort of born out of the notion of we just want, we just want this to stop. We just want this to stop. We just want this to go away. Well, we concede and then it doesn't go away. It doesn't stop. The pain still continues. The harassment still continues. And in fact, as we've seen, especially since 2008, that it has gotten substantially worse. I know there were people out there who voted for Barack Obama because they thought, God, if we just if we just get a black man in as president of the United States, they will stop saying that Republicans are racist. And what happened? He was elected twice. And Barack Obama could not have won without white people voting for him. And what did that do for race relations? Well, they got worse. What did that do for easing the white guilt of Americans out there, it got worse. So you have to understand that if you were approaching these situations and conceding from a standpoint of, I just want the pain to stop. I just want the guilt to stop. It's you are, your weakness is being exploited. That is why I keep harping on Dan Bongino's proclamation that the old rules are dead. The new rules are under effect. And the new rules are we don't concede ever on anything. And we will have to maintain those rules until the Democrats are forced back into a position by which they can act and behave like real rational human beings. Not supporting radical groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter, who are responsible for over 32 deaths, I might add. Who are running through the streets, burning down people's homes seriously injuring or in some rare cases, actually killing people in the streets. It's only going to get worse and you need to be prepared for that. Regardless of what the outcome is on November 3rd, it is going to get worse. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this. I really wish it wasn't true. I don't want any of this. I don't want the violence. I don't want the property destruction. I don't want the loss of life. 
I don't want any of it. I want us to be civil. I want us to be rational. I want us to act like the first world society that we actually should be. But we are quickly descending into scenes on the nightly news that look like something out of Somalia. Or it's like something out of Syria. The kind of mayhem. I mean, you have reporters who have reported on actual, like in actual war zones who are saying, I have never seen anything like this before. That's how bad it is in some sectors of the country. Now, you've all heard about court packing. This has been something that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris refused to answer, and that is because we know they intend to pack the courts should they win. And the Democrats have been struggling for incentives, not incentives, but justifications for court packing. Because, of course, um, because I want to win or because I want to undo everything Republicans do is not a very sexy uh, selling point. The Democrats want to pack the court because they know that the courts can be utilized to enact their radical agenda when they can't win at the ballot box and they can't win at the legislature. I'm here to tell you that if you concede, if you are supportive of a concession to pack the court, if you think that packing the allowing them to add two or four justices to the court, whether there's a total of 11 or there's a total of 13, if you think that that is going to settle this issue, again, you are being your weakness is going to be exploited because when the Democrats are not able to continue getting everything that they want as at the pace that they want, they're going to call for the the abolition and abolishment of the United States Constitution. Allow me to present you with the New Republic uh, from uh, Osita Nava. I can't pronounce this last name. It's uh, a little too jumbled in character, so I'm very sorry about that. I'm very bad with names. If you listen to this podcast long enough, you'll know that. Headline, the Constitution is the crisis. The Constitution is the crisis. There's no reason why a rigged Supreme Court should have the final say on the law of our land. Now, what you're going to notice, and I'm going to do my best to be concise, but I'm, I'm warning you, this may take a bit. Suddenly, the Supreme Court is a radical uh, threat to our democracy. And that, of course, is because the Democrats are facing the fact that it is now dominated by originalists. There's not Republicans and Democrats on the court. And I'm not saying that because, you know, the court has my people on it or anything like that. There are no Republicans or Democrats. There are originalists who interpret and read the Constitution as written. And then there are the living, breathing document types who believe that it is the job of a justice to uh, not only just interpret the Constitution, but to actually read into the document things that are not there, which is how we've gotten a number of different controversial leftist decisions basing it on language that is not in the Constitution. Or in some cases, the Supreme Court has actually used uh, constitutional or governmental documents from other countries. That's not a joke. That's not an exaggeration. The Supreme Court has used other countries' 
political documents as justification for making laws or rulings here in this country. Insane. This is a verbose article. I'm going to do my best to get through this as quickly as I can. I'm going to hit some high points on it. The author says it is almost entirely for oh, it is an almost entirely foregone conclusion that Amy Coney Barrett will be seated on the Supreme Court, cementing a six to three conservative majority that will serve as an obstacle to Joe Biden's policy agenda should he and the Democrat Party win full control in November. As everybody by now knows, that's a majority Biden that, that's a majority Biden Democrats could conceivably do something about. Progressives have been pushing court packing for years. It's one of the major items of a structural reform agenda that includes eliminating the Senate filibuster and adding new states. Now, adding new states will pack the Senate because they will add new states in predominantly Democrat areas, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, to name two. And then they're also thinking about splitting up California as well, some of the lower population areas, to pack senators into the Senate. Uh, In recent days, a number of more moderate voices have joined in, backing court packing as a strategy for rebalancing the judiciary specifically justified by Barrett's on nomination. The most prominent members of this camp include uh, uh, Juanita. I'm so bad with freaking names. Um, Let me skip through this here. So the author is commenting on somebody else's article, essentially. Um, So... Basically, let's see, uh, arguing in the Atlantic that court packing, an idea that they have initially dismissed as institutionally corrosive and politically unserious, could force Republicans into making stabilizing concessions. There's that concession word again. Uh, Providing Democrats add just two justices capable of winning bipartisan support, preserving a six to five conservative majority. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you think that they're going to stop there, I've got a I've got some oceanfront property in the desert that I can sell you. This is, again, just a way to buy them time to gain more power. They they even said, oh, we'll give the conservative majority one vote on the Supreme Court. Um, I'm just going to have to refer to my notes here. So something else that was kind of interesting... Um, and then the author kind of goes through Joe Biden's record about court backing. Um, says if the coverage of the Trump era has a featured prominent theme, it has been that destructive ideas must be countered before they can take hold. Um, uh, irrespective of the era, there are a few more destructive ideas than court packing and none so keenly in need of ubiquitous condemnation, discussing how the response has been sort of to court packing in general. So if indignant conservatives are late to the, uh, so if so, indignant conservatives are late to the game as Arizona political analyst, Hank Stevenson noted, at least 10 States have seen efforts led mostly by Republicans to change the size of their courts in the last 10 years. So I'm just walking you through some of the initial arguments. And in this case, one of the major one is, well, States and predominantly Republican areas have been increasing the size of their courts for the last decade. That's a completely different situation. State-level courts are controlled by state legislatures and state populations. And if you are a believer in federalism, as I am, then if the states want to increase the size of their courts, it only affects the population in that state. It does not affect the population of the entire country. So playing the court-packing game by adding judges to the judicial bench 
on the Supreme Court level has ramifications for over 330 million people. If states want to increase the size of their courts, that's their business. And if you don't like the fact that they're doing it on that state level, then you can either vote for people who will support your position or you can leave. There's nowhere to go with the Supreme Court unless you want to leave the country. And that, of course, I have to I have to take a pause because this author will sit here and complain about several aspects of the Constitution, which predominantly is a consequence of centralizing government power. They're complaining about the fact that they're not winning now because power has been so heavily centralized at the, at the federal government level that it has profound implications for the entire country. I can tell you right now, people like, because of people like me, that's not like, that's not my fault. The Democrats have been pushing big government for as long as I can remember. And it has only been a fairly recent phenomenon within the last 20 years or so that the Republicans have decided to join them and by only disagreeing who should actually be in control of this out of control system that we have. But prior to that, like Reagan on back, we were about small government. We were about states' rights. So what I see here is somebody who spilled milk on the floor and is, is bitching about the fact that the floor has got milk all over it. The, the problems that are inherent are not, you know, we, we have all sorts of extra constitutional things happening. Social Security, Medicare, these are not constitutionally, these are unconstitutional programs. And I'm not going to get into the reason why, but the point being that we have all sorts of things that we're doing that go against the Constitution. But as long as the legislature and the judiciary and the citizenry all look the other way, then, you know, it doesn't really matter. So they try to make the case first that Republicans have, are already doing it on the local level. Um, I'm going to see if I can. So let's see. There is something genuinely strange about the notion that Barrett's nomination has established a novel and unexpected rationale for packing the court. Conservatives and legal scholars have criticized Biden and his surrogates uh, entirely fairly for claiming that Barrett's confirmation process is unconstitutional and the author admits it's not. Um, individuals that stated that do make the case that Barrett represents a transgression, a transgression offering more reason for dramatic reform than the structural defects and inequities of progressives have long identified within the constitutional system. I'm going to try and, and skip down through some of this, some of this gobbledy gook here. Um, I do apologize as I probably should have prepared some better notes for specific areas that I wanted to cover. Um, this is like another, this is like another outright lie where it says it is of course true. No, it's not. <laughs> it is of course true that Republicans have been working to stamp out inconvenient portions of the constitution elsewhere. Their efforts to prevent minorities from voting have expanded to encompass as much of the democratic electorate as they can manage under the coronavirus pandemic. It's factually false, ladies and gentlemen. It is in fact the Democrats who are trying to change state law unilaterally by extending deadlines and removing uh, safeguards and restrictions with the voting process and using the coronavirus as the excuse for doing so. It's, it's, it's the exact opposite of what they actually state. 
But in the drama that has occupied the Senate for over the last half decade, Republicans have managed to topple norms evidently built out of sand while clearly playing by the rule, by, by the only rules that actually matter, the rules undergirding political institutions that structurally advantage them. Republicans haven't flouted the constitutional order. They have made use of it. Things haven't gone wrong because a system that was humming along fine until recently has been damaged in some fundamental way. They haven't gone wrong because of that. The system is humming along essentially as it always has with increasingly dire results. The crisis is not that the American constitutional system is broken but that the American constitutional system is working perhaps not as the framers intended, but as a legal and administrative matter, mostly as it was designed to. So we are halfway through a very lengthy article where the author finally comes out and says, it's not that things have gone wrong. In fact, actually things are working just fine. And perhaps the crisis is not that the constitutional system is broken, but that the constitution is working as intended. Do you see the, the, the argument beginning to form here? Even novelties that were never part of the constitution's original design and which many of the framers would have opposed, but so saith the author, like the Senate's legislative filibuster, aren't really in major contradiction of it. The Senate has the power to make and unmake such procedures. The Democratic Party could have done away with the filibuster in 2009 and simply chose not to. And they, they chose not to because they understood that once you open Pandora's box, they would have, they recognized that eventually they would not be in power and the lack of the filibuster in the Senate would allow them to be bulldozed. The author says, and the system simply kept chugging along. It is smoothly, cleanly, and efficiently producing the appalling outcomes it has always been capable of producing. It is possible that the framers, surely indifferent about Trump's bigotry, would have been disgusted instead by the lawlessness and corruption of his administration if they were around today. So this is what they try to do. They try to use the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. They try to use the framers to destroy the framers. They twist the logic of the American founding and of the framing of the Constitution and then use it to somehow maliciously justify its destruction. Oh, this is so, so, so tiring. Um, let me find you the... Let me find you the key quote here, if I may, so that we can kind of get through some of this. Uh, one interesting fact I might add is, according to the author, John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts actually penned a piece uh, in 1982 claiming that uh, Marbury versus Madison was actually unconstitutional and that the um, Supreme Court's uh, judicial review authority was non-existent, which I actually happen to agree with. Um now, it's fascinating to me that John Roberts now as chief justice not only believes in judicial review, but actually believes in legislating from the bench. My, how times have changed. Uh, back to the article here. I'm going to get to the I'm going to get to the real crux of the issue to in order to kind of help you form this. But the reason why I bring up the John Roberts situation is that one potential strategy you will see is the Democrats adopt a position of 
essentially nullifying the Supreme Court. And what they what was articulated by the author is that Congress under the Constitution has the authority to limit the um, jurisdiction of the Supreme Court to prevent it from hearing cases. So what you will see is you will then see now that the court has a predominantly originalist uh, cast of characters on it, the Democrats are suddenly going to be demanding that power be stripped from the Supreme Court. Originally, there was a proposal to um, to limit uh, the Supreme Court to uh, to only if you if you were over the age of 70, that you can no longer serve on the Supreme Court, which, of course, would take a number of justices off the Supreme Court. And their assumption is, is that Biden will be president, you know, in January 2021, and he would be able to appoint several new justices. So it's examples like that. So now that uh, the way that I described it is, is that the Democrats for the longest time, they've held the gun in their hands and they've been shooting people with the gun. And and the, every time they shoot and kill somebody with the gun and we're all sitting here screaming and, and crying and yelling, they claim we're doing this for justice, that we're we are using this gun for the purposes of justice and equity. Well, now the gun has been taken from them. And now the gun has been firmly pointed in their direction. And what is their answer to that situation? Well, that the gun is is, is, is incredibly dangerous and no one should have the gun and it should be dismantled and to basically be made completely harmless. You see, when they had the weapon, they were righteous in their use of it. They were absolutely justified because they were they were enacting justice, even though it destroyed people's lives. But then once it's turned against them, oh, that's a very, very dangerous weapon. You should probably put that down and, and take it apart and not use it. That's what's happening with the Supreme Court. Now that there is a potential originalist majority, they suddenly see the Supreme Court as being this massive problem when it comes to power. It's, it's unbelievable. Going back to the article, it says, but all of these ideas pose their own problems, the legal ins and outs of jurisdiction stripping, that's what I discussed about limiting the scope, are fairly complicated and without court packing, the constitutionality of using it to defend progressive legislation would inevitably be determined by the conservative court. A democratic president ignoring the court wouldn't win the legal fight on a matter like abortion rights, where the issue at hand is whether the court will overturn an existing ruling progressives would like to protect and have states settle the question, not whether the court will tie Biden's hands on a new policy. Um, I'm just skimming through. This is as for a new convention. Oh, they talked about it. Let's see if, um, if the conservatives retake power, the country will at least marginally be better off if they still need to do the work of claiming they have a constitutional defense for shredding fundamental rights. As for a new convention, the only real push for one now is being funded by right-wing donors who assume correctly that having one today would allow them to destroy what's left of the American welfare state and the federal government's capacity to govern once and for all. This is, this is again, a, it's just stuff like this show tells me that this, this author is either completely ignorant or an outright liar or both. What they're referring to is the Article 5 Convention of States. The Article 5 Convention of States gives the states the ability 
to essentially propose amendments to the Constitution. It's not a constitutional convention. A constitutional convention is what you have when you're drafting a new constitution. But leftists like this idiot like to push this notion that the Article 5 Convention of States is a constitutional convention, claiming, oh, the right wing is just going to write a whole new document, which is a complete fabrication. The process is much more complicated than that. I encourage you to do your own research on it. I am completely in favor of it. Because I'm completely in favor of things like, oh, abolishing the popular election of senators and returning senators to being appointed by states. And I'm also in favor of abolishing the 16th Amendment, which gives the, the government the authority to charge your income. Because I think if you were to abolish the 16th Amendment, it would completely cut the government off at the waist. And then we would no longer be talking about whether or not we should have small government or big government. The government would simply be unable to fund itself. And they would have to shrink. It would be like starving a 600 pound man. He's going to get smaller because he's not eating. Here is where things really get off the rails. That said, the American left should work towards abolishing the Constitution someday, either for a new document or a new Democrat order without a written Constitution. If a new constitution were written, it would be our third. And they go in to, again, justify this notion that we have rewritten our constitution before. All of this took place at the very beginning of our country's history. The Articles of Confederation, as one example. This notion that we should somehow upend this document because the left has suddenly found the world an inconvenient place to exist. Because the overwhelming majority of people in this country do not subscribe to their radical agenda is just unbelievably appalling. I, I don't even know. It's really, it's really hard to, to really understand how, how we've even gotten here. I don't know how we even got here. Now, the author then goes through and tries to justify their claims a little bit more. But here is something I think is really telling. <sighs> Let me make sure I got my, see, as we approach the close of a year in which we have fought bitterly over what we should claim from our history and what we should take from these men, meaning the framers, it seems probable that we should try to inherit at least their audacity, whatever spirit, uh, convince them they possess the consciences, the, the conscience, consciences, excuse me, and the intelligence to create not only a new country, but a kind of society new to the world. Do we have any less right to do so? Is it beyond debate that we are their moral superiors after over two centuries of democratic experience? Here and of observing the democracies that have bloomed across the globe, we know infinitely more about the institutions that they built and the democratic governance that, than they did. They declared themselves the tribunes of a public that they defined and delimited for their convenience. On the day we as a people finally rise beyond narrow faction and above the power of capital, to make ourselves a new republic, it is certain that we will do better. 
securing for truly all Americans, not only a framework of now familiar political freedoms, but a framework of economic rights rooted in the notion that democratic values and a revulsion for arbitrary, unchallenged authority should shape more than just our system of government. Until then, a half measure, if it is given the opportunity, the Democratic Party, without hesitation, guilt, or apology, should pack the Supreme Court to his advantage. And again, if you want to read this article for yourself, this is at the New Republic called The Constitution is the Crisis. Here's kind of my my closing thoughts. I have provided examples to you today of how information that the Democrats find extremely inconvenient will be scrubbed, will be altered, or it will just they will just fabricate complete lies in order to convince you that your eyes are lying to you. They will try to convince you of crazy conspiracy theories, of proclamations of some kind of sinister, you know, Dr. Evil-like plot, when in fact the most basic truth of the situation makes total sense to anybody who thinks about it. As we move forward as a nation, regardless of what happens on November 3rd, this will only get worse. The lies will only get worse because as people begin to wake up to the radical left's ideology, as people begin to realize that they are not in fact on the winning side because the side never picked them to begin with. There are a number of people out there who carry this radical progressive flag because they think that at the end of the road of their little struggle, that there's some kind of place of royalty for them. When in fact, what we know based on history is that when radical tyrannical governments take over in a some type of a revolutionary scenario, the first people who are lined up and shot are the very revolutionaries themselves. There are a lot of useful idiots out there who are carrying the water of the radical left who don't understand that at the end of this road is their own neck in a noose. And I don't mean that figuratively. History has shown us that this is the end result. And of course, the next phase, the next step as we move forward, when the left is not able to pack the courts because I firmly believe that Donald Trump is going to win, they are going to lie and wait until their next opportunity to take total control of the government. And make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to start hearing about how the problem in America is so complex and it is so huge that we need to abolish our entire system completely from the Constitution on down in order to fix it. And that the only thing that will save us will be a new Constitution. And they will be trying to convince you to convince your state legislature and your state governor to support the, uh, the, the abolishment of the United States Constitution. And you can also count on the next time that the Democrats have control of the Senate and the White House, that they will pack the Supreme Court with as many justices as they deem is necessary 
to have a permanent majority on that court, whether it's 13, 17, 21, 51, 101, whatever it is. And in fact, that's a a favorite debate technique of mine, which is to ask people, well, how many justices need to be on the court to balance it out? Well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe 11, you know, oh, okay. So you'd be fine with putting 11 justices on the court and then we, we constitutionally mandate you can't add any more. Well, you know, I think that we should be able to add more anytime. we. Okay. So in other words, you should be able to add as many as you want, whenever you want. And they're only doing this because they're losing. So this is the most important thing because this is all very telegraphing. There's a, even though I don't play football, I've never played football. There was a tip that I remember hearing of always watch the hips because the hips show you where the player is going to go. Don't watch the eyes. Don't watch the hands. Don't watch the feet. You watch the hips. It's key to know where to look in terms of where your political opponents are going to move next. And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you right now, this is not how a winning side acts. If you are the member of a political movement and you are winning the hearts and minds of people, these are not the kinds of things that you advocate for. If the system is working in your favor, you don't advocate for turning over the apple cart and starting with a new system. If the, if your candidates are not engaging in any nefarious activity or any unlawful activity and they have, and you have nothing to fear from their past, then you don't need the media to censor information about them that comes out. You don't need the media to tell you that it was a Russian disinformation campaign, but yet that's exactly what's happening. This is not how a winning side behaves. And certainly you don't encourage either by, you know, direct encouragement or direct participation or by bailing people out of prison who get arrested engaging in violent acts. The Democrats, if they were winning, would not be needing the paramilitary wing, which is Antifa. And the paramilitary social, you know, social justice wing that is the Black Lives Matter movement, which, although it's not really a topic of conversation, you might be interested to know that the three women who have uh, who are or attributed to find to founding, sorry, the Black Lives Matter movement have now all three of them signed majored Hollywood deals. These trained Marxists who have been telling everybody about how power to the people and how capitalism is evil and how the white man is evil um, are now cashing in on capitalism. These people are frauds, ladies and gentlemen. They are total, complete frauds. They are hypocrites. They are criminals. But they are doing everything they can to convince you that actually it's you who are the criminal. It's you who are the racist. It's you who are the the, uh, transphobic, Islamophobic, homophobic, xenophobic, that it's you, ladies and gentlemen, when actually it's them. It has always been them, and it will continue to be them. And that's not a proclamation. That's not my opinion. 
that's based on fact. That's based on what they've actually said, what they've actually done. But they have an iron grip around the media who are doing everything possible to tell you that what you see with your own two eyes and what you hear with your own two ears is a lie. And that the truth is actually what they tell you it is. Because they'll say, you're just not smart enough to figure this out on your own. You're just not intelligent enough to read and listen to the things that people say and draw your own conclusions. I'm here to tell you that if there has ever been a time that you need to begin to exercise that that brain muscle of discerning the truth for yourself, it is right now. You do not, you should not, and please do not allow other people, whether it's me or anyone else, to do the thinking for you. My job is to call attention to things that I think are important and to present my opinion about how those things actually are or what I think they're trying to portray. But it is not my job to tell you what to think. If anything, my job is to tell you to think. I want to continuously remind you that it is up to you to decipher the truth. And the moment you hand that responsibility over to somebody else, your brain no longer belongs to you. It belongs to whoever it is that is feeding you nonsense. As we get closer to the election, it is going to be imperative that you trust your instincts, that you trust your eyes, you trust your ears, you look for the full context. If you were to see a story that said that the president of the United States admitted to conduct, admitted to uh, a felony in front of tens of thousands of people, does that sound like something a politician would do willingly? You should read that story and, and think to yourself, man, that's, that doesn't sound right. Who would do that? And you go and you watch the video and you realize, oh, the guy was just joking. It was a, it was a hypothetical. I'm not talking about the Joe Biden joke where he's like, laugh at that, you stupid bastards. No, that's not a joke. That's that's Joe Biden laughing about how he just was able to call a bunch of military personnel, stupid bastards to their faces. And they don't even realize that he was serious. Because for some of us, that's actually the funniest thing. In my opinion, the funniest thing you can do is make fun of someone to their face and them not even know it. I find that to be extremely uh, satisfying. And I'm sure Joe Biden does as well. I digress. The, fo- the, the fact of the matter is, folks, this is the next stage of the Democrat behavior. When we get through this election, God, if we've managed to find a way to get through the violence that's going to erupt. And again, you're being fed lies. You're being told. You, you turn on the news. And who do you see assaulting people on the streets? these black block Antifa thugs and these black Lives matter supporters. Oh yes, of course. Oh, the, but there are peaceful protesters, right? That doesn't matter. Just like it doesn't matter that some people in the world are born with nine fingers and nine toes. When you say how many fingers and toes do you, do you, do people have? You say 10. 
And when they find out that these organizations are involved in 96% of all the riots that take place across this country so far this year, that tells me if it's a, if it quacks like a duck, it walks like a duck, it's a duck. The fact of the matter is, is that Antifa and BLM are violent organizations. They sanction and encourage and certainly reap the benefits of violence in our streets. And you're told, no, no, no. All of those, all those looters and rioters are actually peaceful protesters. As a CNN anchor reports on the ground with a burning building behind him. Well, it's been mostly peaceful tonight. Like it's a, like it's an SNL skit. You would, you could drop someone from Mars and they could look at that thing and be like, is this a joke? Mostly peaceful. And there's a building on fire behind the guy. This is, these are the lies that you are being fed and you are being told, no, it's, Actually, right-wing violence that's on the rise. In fact, we've seen record right-wing violence this year. Right. Exactly. Just like we had a, what was it, about a year or two ago at the most, where they were supposed to have this big white supremacist rally in Washington, D.C., 30 people showed up. There were over 600 people there. The vast majority of them were cops and reporters. 30 actual white supremacists showed up. White supremacy is a non-issue in this country. The thing I like to remind everybody is no one cares what you look like. You know what we do care about? How you act, how you behave. And if you want to be the nail that sticks out, you're going to get hammered. Bottom line, that's any culture across the world is like that. You want to behave in a way that makes you the nail that sticks out, you're going to get hammered. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, Latino, Asian, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you look like. No one cares what you look like. We are all judged by our appearance. All of us. That's what drives me crazy about these movements. There's this belief that somehow certain people in America have got... Uh, a monopoly on certain experiences as though none of us have ever experienced what it's like to be uh, denigrated because of our appearance or judged because of our appearance or judged because of our age or because of how we sound or talk or how we dress. Oh yeah. None of us have ever experienced what it's like to be prejudged based on visual characteristics or where we're from. Yeah, right. None of us have ever had those experiences before. And if you can't tell, I'm being incredibly sarcastic. We have all experienced what it's like to be judged by how we look, by how we sound, where we live, how we dress, how we behave. We have all had people make judgments and actions based on that. It's human nature. It's human nature. But the bottom line is all of these efforts are done to turn us against each other. Man against woman, mother against father, son against parents, healthy versus unhealthy, rich versus poor, gay versus straight, young versus old, healthy versus unhealthy. I don't know how many others I've covered. It's designed to turn us all against each other because then we all run to big daddy government for the power to stomp out the other person. And big daddy government is only happy to exchange that power for our votes. And our tax dollars. 
until such a time when that power is stripped from all of us and none of us have the ability to do anything. And that's when they want. We will all be subjugated to the same slavery of an all-powerful, all-tyrannical government someday if we continue down this road. But until then, I wish you all the luck with the upcoming election season. I do not know when I'll have another opportunity to get behind this microphone. I'll do my best to provide any other additional information I feel that is pertinent before election day. But ladies and gentlemen, please be safe. Please listen to your heart. Listen to your eyes and your ears. And you make up your own decisions about who you think is telling the truth and who is not. Do not allow anyone to tell you who is and is not telling you the truth. And until we meet next time, take care. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. And we'll talk to you next time.